0: As I said we have been in the midst of a message series called Authentic and uh, last week Pastor Josh did a splendid job of presenting Authentic Community, didn't he do great? So many nuggets, so wonderful presentation and we uh, benefited greatly from it. So today we're going to continue in that series and the focus of today's message is Authentic Evangelism, Authentic Evangelism. And so this morning, I think the way I would like to begin is right with the Word of God. All right? So if you turn in scriptures with me to John chapter 4, John chapter 4. Now on the screen, I only have a couple of verses from the text that I'm going to read to you, but we'll read from John chapter 4, beginning in verse 4 through verse 14. So the reason that we're turning to this scripture is because Jesus Christ is the best example for us. Of authentic evangelism, he is our best example in everything, right? Amen. So we want to see what is his example, and how do we see authenticity in the way that he shares the good news with people, right? And so that's why we're looking at this particular story. It's probably a well-known story, but let's uh, while we while I read it to you, I want you to look for where do I see Jesus being authentic. And how is he approaching this woman, this stranger that he meets? And what can we learn from that? All right? John chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. I'm going to stop there just for a moment. Isn't that an interesting verse? It says he had to go. Now if, if you said to me, I had to go, I had to come to church today, but I had to go on Pewsville Road. That might be because there was traffic piled up on Interstate 664 and they forced you to take a detour. You had to cut over here to Shoulders Hill Road, but you had to take Pewsville Road to get to Shoulders Hill Road, and then Shoulders Hill, you're piled up in traffic and you say, Well, I had to go Pewsville Road. That's not what happened here in the life of Jesus. There is an intentional detour from the normal. Path between point A and point B. It said he had to go; he must go through Samaria. By the way, Samaria was not a place that most Jews would have chosen to reroute through. There was a cultural issue, racial, cultural conflicts and divides between these people. But the scripture starts by saying, now he had to go through Samaria, and we're going to see what happens. I just suggest to you that we all need to be sensitive when the Spirit of God is urging us that we must do something that feels a little bit out of the ordinary. It might just feel a little bit out of the way. It might even grate against some of your internal biases. But we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? amen? Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired as he was from the journey sat down by the well it was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water she said he said to her Jesus said to her will you give me a drink his disciples had gone into town to buy food that was the first thing he said to her Will you just give me a drink? This Samaritan woman had come to the well in order to draw water for herself, her family possibly, and then it says in verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, well, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Oh, we got a problem here, don't we? Do you see the barrier? Do you see that Jesus' approach to her, even though it seemed quite innocuous and just asking for some water, how she reacted to that immediately? She said, I don't understand this. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and you're not even supposed to be talking to me. And here you're starting a conversation. Jesus answered her, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Who was it that he's referring to? Himself, right? He's saying, if you just knew who you were having a conversation with, if you just knew who I really was, then you would realize that I have living water. Everybody say, living water. There's something about that phrase that just is impactful, isn't it? Living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well, who drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, have you all ever noticed that Jesus frequently will answer questions without a direct answer to it? He kind of skirts around, but he's coming out with truth. He said, everyone who drinks this water, meaning what? The water from that well, right? Everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty continually, over and over again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, I give them, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Hallelujah. He is pointing this Samaritan woman to the answers of life. And he said the key is having the living water. That will take care of everything for eternity. Now, I think that that story is, is clearly a portrait of how Jesus related to people. How many of you saw authenticity in his approach? Did you see that? He didn't come off religious. He didn't come off like the Pharisees. He came off just very real, right? And he, he started talking to her based upon what? Something that was practical. Something that they could relate to. They could both relate to what? Water. She was coming for water. He was needing some water. So water became an avenue to, to start up a good conversation, wasn't it? Amen? I love his, his the, just the realism that you see, the genuineness that you feel, the sincerity that you sense and see here in this story. The truth is this, folks. We live in an interesting day. And whether or not you realize it, we live in a post-Christian era. Do you know what that means? We're over the hump of it calling this, you know, people used to say all the time, America is a Christian country. Well, we have Christian roots, but we're living in a post-Christian era. The percentages and the trends and the population very clear is no longer a dominantly Christian nation. Did you know that today that usually around somewhere between 17 and 20% of Americans are actively involved in their Christian faith. That means out of every 10 people you meet, that 8 of them will not have the kind of relationship with Jesus that they should. How many of you agree there's a lot of opportunity? Lots of opportunity, right? So we live in this post-Christian era, and you say, well, why is that important? It's important because it changes the dynamics of evangelism it affects how we evangelize. I think it raises the importance of authentic evangelism. And if we're not authentic today, and if we're not sensitive to the day in which we live and how we connect with it, then we'll miss the boat totally. Authentic evangelism is attractive. So I want to just tell you about a... um, The most recent statistics that I found regarding this, I found an interesting survey that was done asking people, uh, these are adult Americans, and they were asked, Are you curious about other people's spiritual faith? Their devotion, their, their devotion to their spiritual faith. They didn't qualify what kind of faith, but to their religious devotion. Are you curious about it? What, what, what kind of, what, what? do you think they're driving at that question? They're trying to find out level of curiosity, level of openness, and it was fascinating that over 50 percent, actually it was 51 percent of the people, the uh, the American public that responded said, "Yes, I'm very curious. I want to know about people's faith and their devotion. I want to know about that." Now you might want to be a negative person, say, "Yeah," but you know, 49 percent. They don't want to know. But 51% do. And they went on to ask those 51% about the people that they know in their relational circles that are Christians. And they said, Yes, I have many Christian friends, but hardly any of them ever talked to me about their faith. These are relationships. But the Christians are hesitant, reticent, and untrained about even sharing their faith with others. There is a huge need today for Christians to rethink and reboot how we do evangelism and our commitment to winning the loss. So uh, if I may just make sure that I give you a key, i passed the slide, I'm going to go back. Make sure that you have just an easy definition for evangelism, all right? This is not technical, it's not academic. Evangelism, when we use that word, it simply is a process, the process of sharing Jesus Christ with people who do not know Him yet. That's what we mean. It's the process of sharing Jesus Christ with people who don't know Him yet. Now, if these statistics are true... Uh, which which I found them to be pretty reliable. It presents us with a lot of opportunities. I found one interesting thing that I'll, I'll just mention in addition about this same research study. Uh, I was curious about uh, how COVID-19 might have affected because there's some theories people think that COVID-19 caused people to back off from their faith and don't have you know any any hunger for God anymore. Actually, it showed that there's a 32 percent increase of interest in spiritual things and people's faith since COVID. From non-Christians, 32% are more interested since COVID-19 than they were before. What a wonderful opportunity that we have, amen? So um, we want to share this morning some keys to authentic evangelism. Now I've tried to make these just as relevant, just as, as clear as I can. So let's start with the first one. These are six different keys. I think I've got time to give you all six of them. Number one, we must change the way that we think about evangelism. We must change the way we think about evangelism. I find that there's a lot of Christians that still carry around the thought and the idea of people really don't want to know about this. People really don't want to hear about this. Everybody I know, they, they all have heard the gospel before. And the truth is simply not there. So we have to change the way we think about whether or not we want to engage with people about the subject of faith. The other thing that we need to change is we need to change our view of our responsibilities. Do you know that we are all as believers, if you're a follower of Jesus, we are under marching orders. Marching orders... From the commander-in-chief that has made it clear that all of us are to go into all the world and do what? Make disciples of all nations. He didn't say all those who have the gift of evangelism are to go. No. We're all, as followers of Jesus, we're all under marching orders. I hear many Christians that say, well, pastor, I I don't really do that because it's just not my calling. Or it's just not my gift. Or I actually have some people say, Pastor, I thought that was your job. (laughs) Yeah, people actually say that before. Can I give a defense real quick? I have the position of a shepherd. I hope you understand my heart in this. Mm -hmm. So I'm a shepherd. Shepherds lead sheep. Yeah, yeah. right on it this morning, right? Shepherds feed and lead sheep. What do you think produces other sheep? This is deep, all right. (laughs) Sheep reproduce. Sheep shepherds don't by their calling produce sheep. I I do my. I'm both a sheep and a shepherd. See. But my primary responsibility is to equip sheep to have other sheep. So we are all, just by the fact that we're called sheep and we Jesus wants more sheep, amen? He wants more people to know him. We have the responsibility of evangelism. Evangelism is something that all of us are commanded to do through Jesus Christ. And then notice it's not an option. It's, it's communicated from the mouth of Jesus himself. It's one of the last things he said before he ascended to heaven. And he didn't say, you know, pray about it, think about it. You know, if you feel led, he, did, he didn't make it an option. He, but it is a commandment. It is given as a direct command that we need to respond to. We need to adjust the way we think about this. Also, evangelism, just keep in mind that evangelism is just the first stage of disciple making. Before you can baptize them, and before you can equip them and disciple them, you have to win them. So winning them, evangelism, is the first step of disciple making. And then finally, we need to understand evangelism as a process. As a process. Now I want you, you're going to have to stick with me here. And I, and I don't want to get too academic, but I think this tool will be very helpful if you'll, uh, if you'll stay with me. See, what do you mean, pastor, that we need to understand evangelism as a process? Traditionally, when we talk about evangelism, what most of the time we're talking about is getting someone over the finish line. Where they're actually conversion. Where someone makes the decision. And so we're taking them and the first thing we're thinking about is, how do I get this person... To make the decision for Christ. And so I get my tract out and I, and I tell them and then I immediately say, would you like me to pray with you right now? And then we feel like if they don't pray with us or they don't make some decision and we, we get them over the line, over the final line, we sometimes feel like, well, that was a failure. Struck out. Our problem is, is we have viewed evangelism more as a moment as a, 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 but instead, it is really a, a process, particularly in the culture that we're living in right now. Particularly in a post-American culture, we need to understand evangelism as a process. So there was a guy from Wheaton University doing his studies there, and uh, he was studying evangelism and how people come to Christ. And I know you're not going to be able to read these small words here. I just simply could not get the image big enough. So I think it will give you the concept and uh, the details aren't as important as you understand the process. So this is what is called the Engel scale. All right. So this guy named James Eagle did this study about how people come to Christ. And he was suggesting that because we're living in this uh, post-Christian era and the fact that um, you know so many people eighty plus percent of people are not engaged in in Christian living that we need to understand that that, that conversion is more of a linear event, and there are steps involved so I want to see if I can describe to you what is on the screen and uh, explain to you the significance so if you can look at the screen at least you can see that one stair step that's right in the middle that's a different color, right? That's actually number 10 on there. And it says a decision to surrender to Jesus. So what this is tracing is pre-conversion and post-conversion steps. All right? And they are to be progressive. So someone, let's just take a person, and different people start at different levels, all right? So there's some people who've been exposed to a lot of the gospel growing up uh, during the days where, you know, uh, crusades and broadcast evangelism and all were so common. I mean, you found a greater awareness of the gospel. Today, not as much. So this takes someone from the very bottom of no awareness of God. So the, the bottom line is someone who has no awareness of God they don't believe in God. They don't have any awareness of God, not even a supreme being. I mean, they are lost, lost, lost. Okay? So it takes that, and then it begins to cl- climb up, stair step up. And the next level is some awareness of God. And then it goes up to they they start developing contact with Christians. And then they take the next step and they begin to show some interest in who Jesus is. And then they start exploring and investigating more about Jesus. And then they finally grasp, they really get it intellectually, they grasp the truths about who Jesus really was. And then they begin to understand, oh, but Jesus is asking to be my Lord and Savior. And then they begin to process through, oh, it actually has implications about how I'm going to live. And then they decide they're going to accept the implications. And they understand the gospel's been shared with them. They have time to process and they are ready to make a decision. And then they reach that level number 10 where they make a decision to surrender to Jesus. And then it goes on from there. So after someone makes a decision, that's the point that they're born again, right? That's, that's kind of baseline, right? And from that point, now as a new Christian, you can begin to grow. And therefore, water baptism. Then we disciple them. And then we, we, they, they uh, t- uh, begin to connect with people in Christian community. Uh, they're discipled in the, in the basic spiritual disciplines of the faith. And then it keeps climbing up. So those are things that happen after someone meets Jesus Christ. Here's the the problem that we have, and I'm going to read this to you out of my notes so it's very clear. This scale has been used to try to help introduce introduce Christians to a different understanding of evangelism. And not just understanding it as a singular momentary event, but as a process. In the past, we have seen it only in terms of what? Conversion, a momentary decision. But if you understand evangelism as something more like a journey, a process that someone takes in order to discover God, then it changes how we see our roles. Because now I can see my role is trying to help someone take one of these steps. It's not just a matter about, Four spiritual laws, pray with me, yes, no, all right, bye. (laughs) But it's more of the process. And so now I'm beginning to realize that as I help someone take those little steps, I'm helping someone to move towards that. People need, many times, more time, particularly if they're coming from an agnostic position or, or a faithless environment, They need process time to come to the point of making a decision for Jesus Christ. I think it will really help us if we understand how our witness, your witness, my witness to someone can help move them step by step closer. And yes, we want them to come to a point of surrender to Jesus Christ, but understand it may not happen in a 30 second conversation. Does that help you? hope it didn't confuse you more. All right, so uh, threw another one out there just to make things more difficult. All right, we'll move on. Number two, so the first one is what we need to change the way we think about evangelism. Number two, number two, we need to make prayer for the unreached a priority. We need to make prayer for the unreached a a priority. This is essential. You might say, what does this have to do with being being authentic? Because if we're truly authentic, we have to understand that without prayer, we're operating in the natural. We're just doing it in our own strength. Amen? I truly believe that prayer opens doors. Anybody believe that? Here? I believe that prayer opens doors. I believe prayer opens doors for the right kind of conversations with people. I believe that prayer will open the door and even in your life with people that you meet. Surprise moments. I believe that prayer is critical when it comes to evangelism and winning people to Jesus Christ. Bottom line, when you pray, evangelistic stuff just happens. And sometimes it'll even surprise you. Like, wow, I've been praying for this, but like, look, I can't believe that divine appointment I had today. Look at that. Amazing. The scripture is also clear on it. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38. Jesus is telling us the key of the harvest, isn't it? He, he says, he said, the problem is not that there's not people to be won. He said, the harvest is great. We just don't have enough workers. What was his solution? Pray. Pray. Pray, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. So he's telling us that we want to harvest, that prayer is an essential priority. Also, we know that in Second Corinthians 4:4, 4, 4, Paul explains to us a little strategy when it comes to praying for lost people, because he tells us that lost people, their eyes, unbelievers, their eyes, have been blinded by Satan. He has blinded their eyes to the truth. They can't see it. They can't understand it. They can't comprehend it. But guess what? You and I have the weapons of prayer to be able to penetrate that and to pierce that veil so that they can hear and see the truth of Jesus Christ. Prayer is essential if we're going to make an impact of winning people to Christ. Amen? Amen. Number three. Number three. We must build relationships and friendships with the unchurched. Now, even saying that, I know that there's on the inside of some of you there's like, "Eh, on, eh. Kind of like this, like some defensiveness. Let me tell you what the problem is. The problem is, we have believed a lie. Yep. We're helping. We're helping. And the lie is, we're safe in these four walls. We're safe in here. But well, boy, I'm in mean, the moment you go outside these four walls. Not safe anymore. We have become so Christianized and many times religious (laughs) that we have become isolated and even insulated from those who need what you've got. I know it's a well-worn illustration, but if you have the answer to a devastating contagion That is killing people, and you have the therapy, you have the answer, and you don't share it, and you simply cloister yourself together with us four no more. You're always hiding out, isolating yourself. Say, No, I I don't want to, I can't have anything to do with these people because why? Oh, they're unchurched, they're unbelievers. We've believed a lot, haven't we? No, you'd be stupid if you weren't sharing that answer with them. Well, you and I have heaven's answer. We know the truth, don't we? But the problem is we're insulated. We don't have sufficient, adequate relationships that have been bridged from where we're at to the unchurched. And I, my experience is the longer you walk with Jesus, the less you have. Am I right, Keith? I'm talking, thinking about some of y'all have been in the faith a long time. The longer you know Jesus, and the longer, the, many times, the more that we grow, the farther distance we have with unchurched. And I like to ask Christians, how many unbelieving friends do you have? Uh, you don't, don't answer. All right. List for me the relationships that you have as a Christian, I'm speaking to Christians, that you have with unchurched, unbelieving people. If we don't have relationships, how do if we don't have those bridges, think of it like a bridge, how are we gonna get the truth over there? The only other option, listen, this is what happened. The only other option is we have a Bible beating, you know, we think we're just meeting someone on the street kind of approach, which I'm all for winning someone, however, we can win them. I'm just telling you that in the culture in that we live today, we have to be smarter than that. And most effective evangelism happens relationally. I heard someone the other day, I, I was a little bit shocked because I hadn't seen it in a while. But I saw a dude standing on the side of the road in a major intersection waving a sign. It, it really wasn't a protest sign, but it was, a, it, was a, it was a heaven or hell sign. All right, you know what I'm talking about? All right. So he was a, a, a passionate, zealous, Obviously, I mean I didn't know him, but he's obviously I, I respected the fact that he was bold. But it didn't come across as authentic. It came across harsh, judgmental. And while there might be some small percentage of someone that looks at that sign and his touch, I think for the most part people saw his his raving and his antics on that street corner and the sign they, "Uh, ah, there's another one of those crazies." It didn't it wasn't helping. just wasn't helping. I'm sure his heart was right, but his methods were simply not the best in my view. So you say, well, what is the right way? Through relationships and through friendships. Jesus was starting a relationship with Nicodemus. He started a relationship with Zacchaeus, didn't he? Right? And through those relationships, they came to know him as their Lord and Savior, we need to do that. We need, in order to have relationships and friendships with the unchurched, you you have to be intentional. You have to be real, not fake, not religious, not phony. You have to be real, and by the way, you have to be friendly. I know that's 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 revelation, isn't it? You actually have to be friendly to have friends. Okay, so you be friendly and intentional, and decide I'm going to. I'm going to actually make an effort, I'm going to be praying, remember that's the foundation, so I'm going to be praying that God will create the opportunity for me to build a bridge to some unchurched people in my neighborhood. You say, where are they? Yeah, We don't even know where they are. Because people don't, people don't know their neighbors today, for the most part. Do you know whether or not your neighbor is a person of faith or not? Do you know what their background is? Right? So you say, well, where do I find these unchurched people? doesn't take long to figure out whether or not they're a practicing Christian. Frankly, it doesn't take too long. And uh, so you have them in your neighborhood. You have them in your community. You have them on the job. And there's so many, some of us, we, we still have opportunities in our own families. Amen? So build relationships and friendships with the unchurched. Christians, consistent who consistently share their faith would tell you that on a personal level people are open, more open than you think, to talking about spiritual things. So we need to invite people into our circle and we build relationships. We I'm all for one thing that we do is we we, we try to create opportunities, church opportunities and events and outreaches where people can be brought, but some people just aren't going to be open to that. So you have to build a bridge of trust. And that bridge that you build with someone, it's a friendship. And once that bridge is there, then you can walk across that bridge with the answers to life for them. Many years ago when Carrie and I first moved into the Greenbrier uh, Chesapeake area, we bought a home there. And uh, we bought a home next to a couple that was at the end of a cul-de-sac. And uh, Couples named, they were a, a retired couple. Their name was Jean and Phyllis. So they were probably, I don't know, 25 to 30 years older than we were. And uh, we immediately began to pray for them and start the beginnings of a relationship with them. Now, they, they were a friendly couple. And, uh, you know, after we had gotten moved in and stuff, we met each other, and the yards were open to one another. They weren't divided by fences and all. So we'd go back and forth to each other's. Uh, houses and, and, and he, he would love to work outside in his lawn he was always out doing stuff and uh, his wife was uh just just really as sweet as she could be and so both of us Carrie and I both began to just build and develop a relationship with them and uh, years went by and we became more and more intentional. So just little things, you know, like we're leaving Gene Phyllis we're we're leaving out of town for a couple of days. Would y'all get our mail of course yeah, sure bye yeah get your mail for you? Did I need them to get my mail for you? It was just a matter of, again, just a way to create opportunities, create engagement. And it got to the point that whenever they leave town, they'd ask us for help. So we got to know their dogs. We got to know them. We got to be friends. And he loved to cook and grill food outside the back of his house. And so we we started exchanging food. So he would cook extra food. He'd bring it over to us. We'd cook a big meal and we'd take extra food and leave it with them. Now, what is that? It's friendship. Friendship. We had that relationship for probably five years. It took about four years before, somehow in the conversation, the question came up Where do you work? Now, I know it's shocking that it would take four years. Maybe someone clued them in that he shouldn't ask that question. But anyway, but he said, Now, where do you work? I said, Oh, well, I you know, work, there's a church down the road and I work that. And he goes, oh, and he said, is it this particular? Ba-? Yeah, that's it. And he goes, oh, and, he, and I found out quickly. I said, uh, yeah, you know, I said, and I asked, I said, do you, do you have a background at all? He said, you know, I grew up as a Roman Catholic, he said, but it was really didn't, it didn't mean anything to me. And, and he just kind of discarded it. So I'm, oh, okay, cool. A year went by, after he knew at this point. Then he would actually say to me, oh, you're going to church this morning? Yeah, yes, sir. You know, so it was like that. But we got a call one day from Phyllis, the, the, the wife, and she was desperate. And she called and she said, please, would you and Carrie pray for Gene? The ambulance is rushing him to the hospital right now. He's had a heart attack. And I said, we absolutely will do that. Now now here is an unbeliever asking for prayer. Do you think she would have done that to a stranger? No. What was was the bridge? Friendship. A relationship. She asked us to pray. We did. That night uh, he did have a, a severe heart attack they put him in the hospital, and, and we made contact, went to the hospital, and that night, they, preparing him to have open heart surgery the next morning, first thing. And so we were visiting, Carrie's, you know, Phyllis is crying, and Carrie's hugging her, and, and um, so we're standing there talking, and, you know, isn't it amazing how God can clear a hospital room when he needs to? <laughs> he cleared the room for us. Everybody's gone, just the four of us. I said, Gene, I said, if you don't mind, I I have to ask you something. I said, you know, we've known each other as neighbors for five years. I've never asked you this question. And I respect you so much. And we're close friends, but I know you're going into surgery tomorrow. Have you ever thought what happens if you don't make it? And he just just nodded his head, yeah. He said, obviously I'm thinking about that. And I said, listen, I said, we care about you guys. And I said, because we care about you, I have to tell you something. I want to make sure that you have eternal life. And I don't know what you believe, but I believe that unless you have personal faith in Jesus, it has nothing to do with how good of a person you've been to. Unless you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're lost. And I said, "Would, would you please allow us to pray with you? Would you like to make sure that Jesus is in your heart before you go under the knife tears in his eyes he said yes we grabbed hands we led them both that day both of them prayed the prayer to accept Jesus Christ in their hearts was it just were we strangers no had it been an investment of time and effort and fr- yes but the result was They both came to Jesus Christ. He came out of surgery successfully. I was blessed to be able to take him a brand new study Bible that he could have. So we gave him his very first Bible. So my point is building intentional relationships with the unchurched and the uh, the lost is is how to be authentic. Amen? Now by the way, in these summer things I just got through telling you about these affinity groups or interest groups, These are wonderful ways that you can invite someone into that group that's a friend of yours. It's a way that you can connect them because it's not a hard evangelistic environment. It's a way that they can begin to be bridged into a decision for Jesus Christ. All right, everybody understand all that? All right, number four. Number four, develop gospel-friendly conversations. This kind of builds. So the next one, these build on one another. So if you have, you've been building this relationship... The next thing you do, you have a friendship, and at some point you begin to develop a, a gospel, what I call a gospel friendly conversation. You begin to shift away from confrontational evangelism to conversational evangelism, where out of the conversation, the subject of your faith comes up and it works people in our environment and in this culture are far more far more open to this conversational approach than they are to I've got my bible in my hand and I'm going to I'm going to tell you the truth you know and it just it's authentic Colossians chapter 4 verse 5 and 6 says live wisely among those who are not believers make the most of every opportunity what do you think that might suggest huh Make it, Take advantage of every opportunity that you have. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. That's our opportunity. Look at number five. Ask the right questions. I'm convinced that if you learn a couple of key conversation starters... These are questions that help someone engage in a discussion, a talk, a dialogue. You know, I'm standing up here today, this, is, this will be called a monologue. Why? Because I'm the only one doing the talking. Well, I'd like some of you to talk a little bit more. But anyway, right, it's basically a monologue, right? But if, if Jim and I are talking, it becomes what? Now it's a dialogue. So I'm talking about dialogue approach to sharing about Jesus. And that dialogue, if you learn to ask some questions the right way, and you do it from sincerity, and you do it out of even a level of real passion and heart connection, it'll open up the right kind of conversations. So I wrote just a couple of them up on the screen for you that you can see. I have a whole list of best questions for these kinds of discussions. But one of the ones I like the most is just ask someone if you start talking with them about something and then you find out that there's a a need in their life. It doesn't take people long to tell you what their problems are. You can be standing in the grocery store line and someone will tell you what their problem is. How are you doing today? Well, you know, am I right? Have you ever followed up those comments with saying, you know, do you mind if I I want to just pray for you about that. Do you mind if I pray for you about that? Very few people will ever say no to prayer. Regardless of where they're at spiritually, very, very infrequently will someone say, no, don't pray for me. Can I pray for you? about that, Or is there anything that I can pray for? What challenges... Struggles are you facing in your life? Sometimes I like this is a good approach. You can ask someone. What? Well, maybe you're sitting next to someone on a flight, or maybe it's someone on the job, or whatever. Have you ever asked them? Say, you know, what is your personal history when it comes to to God, faith in God? That's 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 a, that's a conversational kind of question. You might say, Well, yeah, boy, that could boy that could open up a can of worms. Good good it opens up good conversation what do you believe about God all those are good questions so these are these are the right questions and once you develop the mindset of of friendship relational conversational evangelism you need to make sure that you have some good questions in your back pocket all right last number six share your story Share your story with sincerity. Did you know that every single one of you who know Jesus have a story? You have a story. And I know many Christians say this to me, well, you know, Pastor, I really don't have a testimony here. And what you mean by that is I didn't do enough bad stuff. Now, Henry, you did plenty of bad stuff, all right? So you, but, but some don't have enough bad stuff, they think, to kind of give that kind of story. I, I used to tell people, I said, well, you know, I've known Jesus since I was five. But you know what? I still have a story to tell. Every single one of us have a story to tell yes, yes, people. Yes. And you say, well, I don't know my story. And it simply answered this question. What has Jesus done to change your life? The answer to that question is your story. It's simple. It's clear. It doesn't have to be 18 minutes long. It's what we call an elevator speech. You know, make it short. <laughs> concise. You know, before I knew Jesus, my life was marked by this, 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 this. I was th- here. I came to Jesus. He forgave me and, and he changed me. This, this, this. You can. Every one of ours are a little bit different. But you can share your story. Any of us can. And your story is one of the most effective ways of conveying to people the heart of God. God's love and His power to change lives. Amen? So I've given to you this morning six keys to authentic evangelism. Can we make a decision here together today? And I, I invite you to make this with me as, as if you're a believer is that I'm just going to endeavor to be more authentic in the way that I share Jesus in my efforts. Some of you may be in that group that said, I gave up trying to do that years ago. Could, could, Could you revisit that? Revisit that and say, maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's a more authentic way that I can present Jesus Christ to people in a way that they will be responsive to it. I think that's a good prayer, don't you? Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? I want to pray with you as our prayer teams come forward. They're going to come forward to pray with anybody that has a need. You might have a need for healing today. We believe Jesus is a healer. You might have a need today for some broken relationship that God wants to fix. You might have a need for a financial crisis that you're facing. Please feel free to come and allow these teams to pray with you will believe God to meet your need. I want to pray with you first, and then Pastor Brad is going to come and dismiss you with the benediction. If you just bow your heads for a moment, because I want you to be responsive to the word shared this morning. How will you respond? How will you respond? Here and online. Say, Lord, what am I going to do with this message today? And if you're here today and maybe you are among those. You're somewhere on that scale, but you haven't quite gotten to the point of total surrender. You can do it right now. and You can say yes to Jesus. Maybe God's already prepared you for such a moment. And if so, would you just... Pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want you in my life. I'm asking today that you'd forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross for me. That you're raised from the dead. And I turn away from my old life and I put my faith in you. Make me a new person today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you may just want to come forward and let someone pray with you. You can take a Connect card and fill it out and drop it there so we can get you involved in discipleship and get you a Bible. Follow the example that Gene and Phyllis made that day. One day, I'm going to see them in heaven. You know, I think they're just going to give me a big hug give Carrie a big hug that's what I anticipate let's put the word of God into practice amen Brad would you come and
1: close us this morning thank you Pastor Bobby authentic witness it was I'm here today because of an authentic witness by from a woman named Pat when I was 18 years old a busboy at Andy's Chinese restaurant and her witness was so simple but wonderful and I was drawn to her and she answered many questions and she gave me a New Testament and a book by Paul Little called Know Why You Believe. And that touched me so deeply and it enabled me to be ready to listen to Billy Graham preach on television and then I gave my life to Jesus. She doesn't even know I'm a believer. We just never know what one witness can do but now we want to take this message and pray into it. And I want to pray a prayer that is a bold prayer, a prayer that has tremendous faith, to, because I know this is a prayer that God wants to answer. So would you join with me, and then I'll, I'll give a benediction. Father, you are the opener of eyes. You are the opener of hearts. You are the opener of ears. And you also know how to create situations in the lives of people that we are related to so we we just say metaphorically would you put Samaritan women into our our lives would you create situations and then frankly whether we are interested or not usher us into those situations where we can be your witness where we can be pat to someone that doesn't yet know you whether we lead them to faith in you, Lord Jesus, or not, use us, give us divine appointments, whether those divine appointments are are just momentary or whether they last for five years, as with Pastor Bobby and Carrie, we ask that you would create those situations and then give us your heart for those that don't yet know you. And then, Father, we are praying and believing that many salvations will result from this prayer alone that we are agreeing for. Let us live to bring you praise. Let us live to bring you glory in Jesus' name. And now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or imagine, according to his power that mightily works within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen and amen. Remember who you carry with you. God bless you.